Listen, Eden is kingdom, and Eden mindset is a kingdom mindset. Let me hear ya. Where my Eden citizens at? Where my Eden citizens at? Where you at? Let me see you do your hands like this. Come on, let me hear you, let me hear you. Put your hands together like this. Come on. Here we go. When God made man, he made a spirit. It was his plan that we live blessed. The tempter came. We were distracted. The tempter came. And we fell. We were deemed to live a life that's beautiful. A life that's full. A life that's rich and beautiful. It is my goal to remind you of this principle. You're redeemed. A newborn soul. Come on, y'all, and tell them, It is Tuesday afternoon, which means it's another edition of the Pastor Study here on WHOV 88.1 FM. Pastor Kevin Swan in studio. Once again, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to listen to the broadcast. And if you're just tuning in for the very first time, uh, this show is designed to talk about relevant issues that affect our community. We talk about it from a pastoral or a biblical perspective. And as always, we certainly invite your call-ins to our topics for the various shows that we do. Uh, we always like to hear from you. You make the show uh, much better when we hear from you and what you have to say. And uh, we're just as excited as we can be uh, once again to have this broadcast. We want to take an opportunity again to thank uh, Jay Lang, who is the station manager here at WHOV, uh, for giving us this opportunity. And certainly uh, we look forward to uh, bigger and better things in the future as it pertains to the show. Uh, we've shared some things with you previously. Those things are still in the works. And, uh, you know, we're excited about uh, what God is doing uh, in this forum that we have to talk about things that sometimes aren't always addressed in our churches uh, but definitely need to be discussed. And so, uh, you know, we're just glad that uh, we have this opportunity to do that. Uh, once again, uh, if you haven't uh, had the opportunity to tune in to previous broadcasts and you want to catch up on our topics and things we've been uh, sharing on the radio shows, you can visit the website uh, www.kevinswan.org. That's K-E-V-I-N-S-W-A-N-N. Dot org. You can uh, go to the media link and uh, on the media link, you certainly can listen to previous uh, radio broadcasts. Also, you can keep up with us on Facebook, uh, The Pastor Study, as well as Twitter uh, at The Pastor Study, which will give updates and different things about what's going on with the show. In addition, uh, we do have a new email address. Uh, if during the show you can't call in and you want to email us to see what's going on, you can email us at t. TPS, TPS, which stands for The Pastor's Study, TPS at KevinSwan.org, TPS at KevinSwan.org. Uh, once again, we want to jump right into the show, and uh, I'm very excited today. 
I have one of my friends that's in studio with us. Uh, and if you've never had the chance uh, to, to hear uh, this pastor preach, I encourage you right now, get on your Internet, go to YouTube. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. He's uh, out of New York City. Uh, he has the church there. He's the pastor of First Corinthian Baptist Church uh, in New York City, is doing phenomenal, phenomenal work. He is a preaching man of God. And uh, he is none other than Pastor Michael Waldron, uh, who is with us. Pastor, first of all, good afternoon, man. We're glad to have you back in the South. It's good to see you again. How's everything going? Good to be back here, man. Uh, everything is going well. Always good to be down South to get the good weather and, and uh, be around my folk, man. And it's good to see you, man. So I'm glad to be here with you today. Absolutely, man. It's always good seeing you, man. And tell us, how, how's the church coming, man? We know the last time you were here, you came and just really blessed us. Uh, in our revival, man, people are still talking about you, man, and and uh, we know the church is doing well. But for those who may not be familiar with you, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know how you got started in ministry, and and by the way, you know we knew each other playing ball before we actually went into ministry. You he played AAU, and I played AAU, and it's kind of funny how God brings you full circle. But uh, you know, tell the folks who are listening about yourself, man, and about your ministry. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, definitely I'm a native New Yorker, and uh, I've been now at First Corinthian for, this will be six years. I came in 2004. Prior to that, I was pastoring in, uh, in Durham, North Carolina for eight years. Uh, went to Divinity School in, in Durham at Duke University, and prior to that did my undergraduate work at Morehouse College. And uh, came back home to New York six years ago to do ministry, and God has been doing, I mean, some some unbelievable things at the church. We came to this church in uh, 04, had about 350 members, and we've watched God just increase it. Now we're over 5,000 members, and, and God has been moving, man. I mean, moving in a powerful way. I mean, really uh, participating in the transformation of that area, of that community, that neighborhood. We're actually in Harlem, Harlem, USA, and uh, a lot of great things are happening there. Uh, we're actually right now in the middle of a major project, renovating the building. We've been blessed they have a beautiful building. It's a historic landmark in New York City. It was one of the original uh, theaters designed and built as a movie house in 1912. And so uh, we're in the process now of, of renovating that space. But more than the physical renovation, God has been doing some major spiritual transformation in that place. And so we're excited, man. I'm, I'm really excited and been humbled, tremendously humbled by what God has, has been doing there. Amen. Once again, we're speaking with Pastor Michael Waldron. He is the pastor of First Corinthian Baptist Church in Harlem. And again, as I said to you before, this is one preaching man. And so if you have never had the chance to hear him, if you are close to the Internet right now, go to YouTube. He's on YouTube. W-A-L-R-O-N-D is how you spell his last name. You can certainly look him up. And uh, he is truly a man of God. You just heard the testimony of going from 350 uh, to 5,000 members in, in six years. And so, Pastor, I guess the question is, you know, what do you attribute to the to the explosive growth? And, you know, certainly God's will, we, we understand that. But have there been some other things that you can say definitively were things that allowed your church to grow in this capacity in such a short period of time? Yeah, I like, I like your word, allow the church to grow. I, I think... Well, let me say, I, I, a few weeks back, I did a, I went to a conference on church growth, and I was um, the feature speaker for the conference. And the very first night I spoke, I, I told them that I don't believe in church growth. I don't believe in church growth models. I know right now there's so many churches, so many pastors 
who not only believe in it, who teach church growth models per se. You know, if you do this model, follow this model, this is how your church will grow. I don't necessarily believe in that. I think what we've experienced at First Corinthian has been what you would call spontaneous reproduction. I don't want to say it's kind of growth, but it's spontaneous reproduction. And I think of it that way because living organisms spontaneously reproduce. Living organisms produce by nature. And so my thing is, if we're alive and healthy, we will produce. The church will grow. So instead of trying to find a model to grow, the issue is how do we become a healthy, living, vibrant organism so that growth will be inherent to the makeup of who we are. So I think that is that is critical. And I think that's important because many churches don't follow that. We'll take a model and try to put it on our churches. And then if it doesn't work, we think something's wrong with us or the model. But no, if you, you're healthy, you will grow. A child that is a baby does not think about growth. It grows because it is healthy and is being nurtured. And so that's one of the things we've experienced at First Corinthian. We've created the environment for health, I think, the environment for people to grow. And with that, we've seen that kind of spontaneous reproduction. Amen. And so I guess, you know, the question is to uh, is ministry, do you think, different in New York City? You know, you have so many people, you know, eight, nine million people, maybe more in the city. Uh, you know, is it different in that type of setting than it would be, say, here? And you said you did pastor down in North Carolina. So what, what has been the differences between the two places, you know, in terms of, of your ability to pastor effectively? Yeah, I, I, I would say, I mean, urban ministry is is real because of the the volume of people, I think. That is the biggest difference um, from when I pastored in North Carolina. Um, it was a smaller community, and the issues were just as real that you find in New York City. But I think in New York City, it's just on a larger scale. Um, I remember when I came to, to Harlem, right where the church is on the corner, there were people who were selling heroin right there on the corner. Now, that's something I never encountered in North Carolina, but it was right there on the corner, and it was on one corner heroin and another corner crack, on another corner, you know, people were selling marijuana and things like that. So I think the kind of engagement that you have is radically different. You have to take make a decision, take a stand how much you will engage it. And for me, it meant, you know, dealing with a lot of those who were selling drugs on the corners and also challenging the police to really be involved and actively involved in the community. So I think when you're in environments where you have that kind of um, reality, it breeds certain things. So you have the addictions, you have the the kind of dysfunctions that exist in family structures. You have, I mean, the in, the engagement with, with real issues of poverty and, 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 and lack of educational resources. All those things come with that kind of environment, and it becomes a real high-pressure um, engagement. It's not enough to just preach on Sunday and walk away. You have to engage the community day on a daily basis because certain levels of trust have to be established between the church and the community. And so many of our communities, especially in an urban contexts like in New York City, have a lack of trust for the church. You know, I tell people that New York City is a city of distractions. You know, we we've seen so many people who've been who've come forward to First Corinthians as candidates for baptism, now, adults, grown older people who never were involved in church before. Now, down south, that was unheard of because church is part of the fabric of the community on some degrees. And in the city, there's so many other things to do on a Sunday morning than be in church. 
that you're competing with everything else. And so, and so I think that with all of those kinds of distractions, and not only do I call that area the, you know, the city of distraction, I call it also the city of the hustle. So, you know, the brothers and sisters there can smell a hustle and can smell a hustler uh, a mile away, man. And so I think a lot of trust has to be built up between the community and the church. Amen. Once again, we're talking with Pastor Michael Waldron. He is the pastor of First Corinthian Baptist Church in Harlem, New York, one of the fastest growing churches in all of Harlem. And uh, he is down taking a break uh, from ministry and a good friend of mine and asked him to come on the show. He said he would be more than happy to do so. And, you know, we're glad uh, that he's here with us and uh, just excited. Now, before we go to break and then we're going to uh, include you in our comments, we've been talking about the black family and the struggles of the black family uh, over the past four weeks. But, uh, you know, we do talk sports on the show, too. And, and you are a huge Jets fan. And, uh, you know, you just got my boy from the Steelers, Santonio Holmes. Uh, you know, even though he's got a little problem right now, but he's going to be suspended for the first four games. But y'all y'all had a good season, man. And, uh, you know, uh, we didn't even make the playoffs, man. But, but congratulations to the Jets on, on having a successful season. Yeah, no, I love talking sports. That's one of the things, one of my favorite com- topics of conversation. But no, the Jets is my team, man. And we we had a great time, and and I loved rubbing in a lot of people's faces who thought I was foolish for being a diehard, longtime Jets fan. But I think uh, Rex Ryan is trying to put together a team for a Super Bowl run. This is obvious. Um, the offseason moves, and I don't think they're finished. I understand they're trying to get Jason Taylor as well. Uh, so they're trying to really do some things to prepare, make a make a run for the Super Bowl. I, it was close last year, so I'm excited, man. I can't wait to go to the games. Yeah, you should be excited. You know, this, the Jets are on the rise, and that's a good thing. And so we're going to take a break here. And uh, when we come back on the other side of the break, we're going to open up the phone lines. We're going to continue in our discussion. We had a top ten list. Wasn't a, a list that was defined by research or anything like that. It's just some folks got together and said, okay, you know, we understand that in our communities there are a lot of struggles in our families and, and what are considered to be the top ten reasons. There may be more, but we just narrowed it down to ten. Uh, we're going to talk about that list. We haven't gotten through all ten yet. We stopped uh, on number six, and number six uh, if you recall, a couple of weeks ago was women entering the workforce and how that has changed the landscape of relationships. And so we're going to try to get through seven through ten today. We'll see how many we can get through. As always, we invite your call in 727-5711, going to take a break now and come back on the other side of the break here on WHOV 88.1 FM. Listen, Eden is kingdom. An Eden mindset is a kingdom mindset. Let me hear ya. Where my Eden citizens at? Where my Eden citizens at? Where you at? Let me see you do your hands like this. Come on, let me hear ya, let me hear ya. Put your hands together like this. And welcome back to the Pastor Study here on WHOV. 88.1 FM, Pastor Kevin Swan in studio. And if you missed the first segment of the broadcast, we have Pastor Michael Waldron, who is the senior pastor of First Corinthian Baptist Church out of Harlem, New York, the fastest growing church in all of Harlem. God is doing great things in his ministry. Started the church six, well, he came to the church six years ago, 350 members now. It's uh, over 5,000. The Lord is doing wonderful things. And we're glad he's in studio with us. But we also have. Uh, our partner in crime, Pastor John Young, uh, 
who is with us. Pastor, how you doing today, man? My worst moment has been marvelous. <laughs> Good to see you again, man. I see you still supporting the cowboy colors, man. Always doing the blue and gray, man. You, you just won't give it up, will you, man? No, that ain't happening. And I just want to represent because to my immediate right, I've got some uh, some Jets, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, people over here. And, and, you know, I'm not going to hold that against him um, and because, you know, we have to, you know, uh, believe all things and, and we have to be long suffering and all those kinds of things. So if I can tolerate Redskins and Pittsburgh Steelers fans this amount of time, then, hey, bring on the Jets. Amen. God bless. Them. You take everybody on. Huh? That's right. <laughs> See? But y'all got to win. Y'all got to get to the Super Bowl or something, man. Five times. Yeah, but you got to win. You know, it, it's been a long time. But we're going to go ahead and jump in with our question of the day. And uh, Pastor Waldron, Pastor Young, this is a, a topic that uh, we've been looking at for some time. Actually, uh, the reason why this topic was started was because we saw a statistic uh, somewhere that said in today's time, Pastor Waldron, that uh, children... There's a greater chance of children being raised in a two-parent household during slavery era than it is today. And when we saw that article, you know, we said, wow, my goodness, has the demise of the family unit gotten to that point? And we began then to kind of discuss some of these issues. And I want to go over some of the ones we've already talked about. Just touch on them briefly. Get you all's comments before we go into the last ones that we have yet to discuss and, uh, you know, again, this list is not in any specific order. We just kind of sat down and thought through uh, what are some of the greatest challenges that are facing black families uh, in our communities today. And as pastors, you know, we have that responsibility to kind of look and see what things can the church do, what things as pastors can we do to better help our families. So, uh, number one, we talked about uh, several states, including Washington, D.C., passing same-sex civil unions. Uh, and how that whole notion is becoming more mainstream uh, th- in our country. Number two is the uh, teenage pregnancies uh, and how a child, when is born into poverty, as most children are sometimes who are, who are born to uh, teenage mothers, that there's a very little chance that that child will ever go out of the poverty line. And so, you know, you're talking about generational curses. Those things can happen. Number three, uh, high divorce rates across the board uh, and not just in African-American communities, but as a whole. Number four, uh, the increasing number of couples, particularly in the African-American community, who prefer to what we do, what we define as uh, cohabitate <laughs> and how that ri- that is rising in the African-American community at an alarming rate. Number five, the number of children who are raised in single parent homes. And today, 78 percent of African-American children live in a single parent home. Number six is the one that we talked about two weeks ago that really drew a lot of interest in phone calls. And that was women entering the workforce and how now when you look on any college campus, generally speaking, particularly on the HBCU, you have uh, a seven to one, eight to one ratio of women to men. Uh, And nowadays uh, women are entering the workforce, finding jobs. They're making more money, more career oriented. uh, And in some cases, uh, making more money than the man. And so how does that define the role of the the man being the provider and all those kinds of things? So in hearing these first six, Pastor Young, Pastor Waldron, uh, does anything stand out to you? Uh, do you agree, disagree before we go on to the next part of our list? Uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of all of the things you said, I mean, uh, stand out um, with regard to 
the structure of the black family. I mean, the reality is that this conversation, this issue is not new and it is actually old. When people talk about the breakdown of the dysfunction or the demise of the black family, it's amazing. Historically, it, it started, I believe, in the 60s with a report by Daniel Patrick Moynihan. And the report was entitled The Negro Family, a national call to action in which he predicted this kind of um, dysfunctional demise of the black family structures. When he when he put out the report at that time, he was assistant secretary, I think, for labor. Um, it was amazing because so many people called it racist. So many people said it was, you know, anti-black and was 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 highly volatile. And now, you know, 40 years removed, uh, people are saying that he was on point and no one paid attention to those kind of institutionalized infrastructures that participate in the breakdown of, of, of black family in particular and families in general. And so I think that this topic, again, is not new, but with every generation, with every age comes different nuances to the issue um, with regard, especially with the black family, whether it's issues of divorce, you know, um, females entering the workforce or, or, or just the role that sometimes children play. One of the things that stands out to me, though, is, that you mentioned is, um, is marriage. And it stands out to me because I remember some months ago when they had that series on CNN about black in America and they had a conversation about marriage in in the black family. And they were talking about different programs that were trying to keep. I don't know if you remember when they had teenage fathers or fathers of children who were not married trying to get them to marry the women who had these children from they, they had the children with. And I never forget the comments by Cornel West. Because what he said is that we have to be careful the way we talk about marriage without being real about it. He said because what happens is we talk about marriage so much that we forget to talk about love, right? And so at the church, the issue is what becomes the, 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 the banner that we begin to, to put forth, marriage or love? Well, both. But, but, but marriage with, without the context of being spoken of in terms of mature love makes no sense. So marriage can't seem as a way out to solve a problem because if it is done to solve a problem devoid of mature love, you're going to have a bigger problem. And so I think as a, as a church, part of our role is begin to reclaim and recapture what, what love means because I think and how love ought to be viewed in light of some of these realities we're dealing with with regard to divorce rates and things like that. Um, and I know a lot of the divorce rates and statistics are very high, but a lot of it comes from people who entered marriage with a skewed view of what love is. And that has to be talked about. So, Hey, man, you know, one of the things that, that um, we mentioned last week on this subject is how um, we have so few um, role models for marriage anymore. I think we, we talked about how the last... Um, married couple that was uh, popular as was played out back with the Cosbys per se but you know um, now if we could just get more accessible role models for example you know um, we've got we've got uh, Barack Obama and 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 Michelle Obama now to look to but even so uh, we we also need in the african-american community touchable people speaking of Barack Obama to my immediate left I got a brother that looks a lot like him we even got a 
we got a teleprompter, you know, here. I mean, I mean, we, we, we got it going on here at HU. You know, uh, Sergeant Johnson has, has got a teleprompter. And, and, and I thought about Barack Obama because I saw Pastor Swan uh, in front of this teleprompter, you know. And, 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 and the thing is, okay, now, now Barack has uh, big ears and, and Swan has a big nose, but they're both tall and skinny, you know. And the point that I'm making, though, is that he's accessible. You know, he can laugh at himself. He's a brilliant young man. And, you know, I'm looking forward to getting to know this this man to my right so that I can pick on him too but the whole point is is that we need to be uh, accessible so that they don't have to look to the videos to define what's cool to have somebody that loves God passionate about their family love their wife and still um, uh, uh, reach out and and love God um, and, and and be accessible to people so that they can say you know what I don't have to look to the videos for my example this guy driving some car that they rented just to play the video or some dude driving down the street in a car that his mama signed for and all that kind of stuff. But when you got a guy that has some property that appreciates and has some kind of uh, portfolio on the stock market or something like that, that has something going on for himself, but still not a nerd, uh, but but can tell you in a way that you can understand and articulate, it's cool to respect women and treat women like queens. And like uh, and like the pastor uh, said, that that when we emphasize love as 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 a um, as something that that is admirable and 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 something that we should aspire to it's just not enough of that going on and i think that that is probably one of the greatest demises of the african-american family well said by both of you and i guess the question is i want to raise you know again you said 40 years ago pastor water and and you know that goes back to the 60s and in the 60s you know the the, the two-parent home was still very much in play uh i guess the question is for you was there anything that you saw def- was there a defining period is there anything that that happened 70s 80s 90s even up until today that has caused us to make the change so drastically to where we are um you know 40 years ago is not that long ago and to see where we are today compared to where that generation is 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 major and so when you look at it and you're pastoring you see things and you unless things do change quickly is there anything that stands out to you over the course of time that that has you can say maybe this is what got us to this point. Uh, I, I don't know if if I'm going to point to a thing uh, that has us where we are in, in this particular era. But I think several things. Um, you know, I, I'm a native New Yorker, and I know that one of the things that participated in kind of the, the, the crumbling of certain structures in the black community was uh, drugs, but not just drugs, crack. I know in the mid-80s and late-80s, crack was such an unbelievable epidemic in the, in the community that it devastated households in the sense of there were no no morals involved with the crack game, so to speak. You know, it was about money, and it was about more money and being driven by money. But I watched in New York City how crack devastated places like Harlem and, and, and other soil, whereas in the 70s it was heroin, in the 80s it was crack because it was so cheap. And I saw those kinds of structures in the community begin to collapse. So you get a combination of things. You have, you have the influx of, of drugs, cheap drugs, one. Then also, you also have, I think, with the influx of cheap drugs, you get the kind of rampant manifestation of poverty. So you have the cheap drugs that are highly accessible. You have poverty rising. Okay, and with the poverty rising, the poverty uh, levels rising, you also then have with that 
a downward spiral within the educational system. So you have crack, you have poverty increasing, you have inequality in education. Um, and then I think at the end of the 80s, going into the 90s, so to speak, and even now, you get this high marketing of, of things. So that with the drugs, with the poverty, with the lack of access to educational resources, you get then this also infatuation with materialism. Now, materialism spawns what they call rugged individualism. So you have the rugged individualism with materialism now, where now you put something before people. It becomes about things, consumption. So with materialism comes now the, the, the growth of a sub-community within the black community, which is a very dangerous consumer-driven entity. And the consumption of goods now is not just to have goods, but also to affirm personhood. So you got drugs, you have poverty increasing, you have the downward spiral educational resources, you have the tr tremendous manifestation of a, in an almost despotic way of materialism, which breeds individualism, and then we become now consumers. So I remember years ago, um, you know, Nas had a video and he had I am the American dream to a degree. And I remember seeing that shirt, I am the American dream. And what did that really mean for a young child looking at that video? What did the American dream mean? It meant the attainment of things. You understand? It meant the rise of materialism. No matter how you got it, somehow the, uh, the consumption of goods made you more of a person. So I think when you put those things together, you have, I think, parts of a formula that leads to, to destructive forces in our, in our community. Excellent. Well said. And so we're going to go ahead and get on into our list um, because we do want to invite the callers in. And again, phone lines are open 727-5711. Number seven on our list, Pastor Young. Open marriages. It appears that today there are a lot more couples, particularly celebrity couples, who are more open and willing to. Uh, to engage in what we call open marriages. And if you're not familiar with what an open marriage is, that simply means that uh, both spouses have the freedom and the right to engage in sexual acts with others. And it's known, it's accepted, and that's why they call it an open relationship. Now, Pastor, you're married, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's your view, Pastor, <laughs> on, on this topic? You, you know, let me just say one of the things that I've I've discovered is that people get this um, uh, lust and love uh, issue. And I'm so glad that the pastor mentioned that before, how we don't emphasize the importance of love, because the truth is, is that, you know, when we we put more emphasis on being a hero in the community than a hero in our homes. Things like this start to happen because let's face it, in the streets, in the hood, my man's from New York, I'm from Houston, um, but but the truth is is that it's cool for a guy per se uh, in the in the in the streets to have more than one woman, okay. Even now in today's society, you know, it's cool for uh, women to you know just to you know kind of have a few dudes that that she can holler at when she needs something if she wants to go buy an uh, extra pair of shoes or something like that just to have a daddy or whatever they call them nowadays you know i'm 40 by the way um now now here's the point you get to a place where you re-emphasize or reprioritize what you know what does it mean to be a hero in the home? You know, because the truth is, is that half of the rappers out there that are influencing our young people, you know, if they're honest with themselves, you know, it's not cool to be a you're not. It's rare that you can be a sex symbol and be married. 
Um, so they have to hide their marriage. And so now what they do is is they they rarely go out in public with their wives and this, that or the other, because that hurts their money. And then now when they finally do get to a place to where they're settled in, nobody is uh, as interested in their music anymore. Now their marriage is wrecked. So what people try to do is they want to put spice in their marriage. Now, how do you do that? Lord have mercy. It's definitely not this. So. It's it's scary to me, uh, Pastor, and and I, I I'm curious to see what your take on it is because you're from a big city also in New York, and it's certainly a whole lot more prevalent in in the major uh, cities for uh, for couples to uh, be swingers per se. So I'm just curious to know what your thoughts are when you come across a situation like that, and how do you approach that uh, in terms of ministry? Yeah, and this is a real issue. Believe it or not, uh, it's happening at an alarming rate. In our society, uh, people, uh, and here's the argument. The argument is, okay, if we're open, then that means you're not cheating. That, that's the argument. That, that's the whole premise of it. If you're open, if we're, if if you, if if I know what's happening, then there's less of a, a factor of you cheating against me. So I already know what's going on. It's already accepted. So there's less chance of there being any betrayal. That that's the whole argument. We we want to hear from you all. Seven two seven. Five seven one one. I believe we do have a caller on the air. Caller, are you there? Caller, are you there? Okay, we'll come back to that. Let's pick this phone line up right here. Pick that up. Hold on. Yeah. There we go. But, but that is the argument. You can hang it up. You can hang it up. That that is the argument at this point. Is that again? Um, it it runs. The, it reduces the risk. Let's see if we have the caller now. Caller, are you there? Okay, we're still having problems here with the line. Let's go ahead and hang that up. But again, Monique, uh, who's who's uh, she just came out from what I was told and said, you know, in her particular relationship, she has that issue. She's dealing with it. She says, you know, in, in my marriage, this is where it is. Uh, I think it's acceptable. This is what we're going to do. And so, you know, people do have this kind of thing that's going on. I mean, the question is, how does that impact the church? Caller, are you there? Let's see if we have it this time. Caller, are you there? Okay, we're still having problems with with the caller here. Let me see if we can get this fixed here. But again, when you hear this subject, and, and let's say somebody comes into your office and say, look, you know, we're thinking about having this type of relationship here. Um, you know, we don't see it as adultery or cheating because, again, we're in agreement and compliance with it. So we don't see anything wrong. Does does that have an impact? Does it have an impact on how we counsel, how we look at relationships, how we should help them to deal with certain things? So let me let me hear from one of you. How how does this impact us as pastors in the ministry? You know, I think one of the first one of the first issues that we have to get past is that we've got to seek to understand before we seek to try to help. You know, because obviously you got to understand the problem before you can be an instrument in fixing the problem. So, you know, when you get inside the minds of people that say, you know what, it's not cheating if 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 you're honest about it, if you know about it. The truth be told is that sometimes people lower their standards because they don't want to be hurt. You know, and so when you when you get down to what it really means to say, you know what, I want to be accepted. Um, I want to uh, you know, I don't want to lose my husband per se so sometimes a woman uh, may get to a place to where she feel like you know what I need help so I'll make I'll make uh, sacrifices so that I can keep my man happy or whatever and I've seen all kinds of things in real world situations this is real talk y'all yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, now I have not had that issue yet <laughs> in the sense of persons coming to the office to talk about that. But again, I, um, I, I, I'm just amazed sometimes on how nothing truly is new under the sun. You know, I, I was watching on the History Channel a couple of days ago, and they were talking about the hippie movement. Had a documentary on the hippie movement, and they had persons who were part of this movement who are not who were called. You know, that was the, the baby boomer generation who are now in their sixties, saying how those marriages were open, the relationships were all open, everything was about free love and 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 enjoying the beauty of sex and all those things. So this thing is not new. We all know that it is not new. Um, I think how it impacts each community is radically different. One of the things I realize is that in the church, we're called to be a lot of things. Um, but primarily we're called to be persons who lead people to a relationship with God. And that relationship is deepened, we believe, through following the way mandated or, di- or sh- demonstrated through Jesus. And I think one of the things that we miss sometimes in the church is we are so consumed with telling people what not to do, we forget to tell people how to live. And sometimes people engage in these different relationships trying to find life in another way. Because for many of us who are in the church, we have made life seem too rigid and regulated and cut off. It is not that we don't have standards in the church. It is not that we don't raise the bar. But we have to show people how to live. And if living means experiencing the fullness of all that life has to offer through God, then we begin by entering this issue by saying, what is being missed? What is lacking through these kinds of open relationships? What is not being reinforced? What is not being fortified? Is love being affirmed? Is is the Stability being affirmed in terms of stability with regard to relationships. Are our children being nurtured in a, in a loving environment? I mean, these are all the issues around it that we must be able to address in a very concise and clear manner. Instead of just saying, oh, that's wrong. Move on to the next top- topic. Oh, you're going to hell. Move on to the next subject. That's not of God. It's not enough to say that. We must be able to defend and explain who we are as opposed to always saying what we don't like. And you're absolutely right. But what's happening is because we're not saying how to live. You see all of these byproducts that are happening in our community. And so we want to hear from you. I think we got the phone lines working now. 727-5711. Let's see if we have the caller now. Caller, are you there? Caller, are you there? Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, hi. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to shout. No, that's okay. Go ahead and state your comment, please. Uh, yes, I I think maturity plays a big role in this open uh, business. I, I don't mean to imply that people that have these open relationships are totally immature, but I'm speaking of maturity from the perspective of sacrifice. I think whether we're married or single or whatever, we, we will always see other people that will entice us. I think we'll always wonder, hmm, I wonder what would have happened if I had chosen him instead of him. But when you enter a relationship, part of that relationship is sacrifice. Part of it's saying, hey, you know, he's not being real nice and loving today, but I love him, and because of that, I'm here beside him. A whole lot of people uh, never reach that level of maturity. Okay, we appreciate the call. Thank you for your time. But, but here's the reality, and, and, and let's be honest here. If people are getting married, and, and you already know the statistics that most of them are not working, you also know that in, in our community there's a high rate of infidelity. 
Do you look at this option and say, okay, this might be the best chance for me to keep a marriage together? Um, because you're right, things are not being discussed in the church. We don't have options on how we should live. Uh, this might be the, the, the least option, but at least I'm married. At least I have a partner. At least I have some semblance of love. Do you think it's gotten to the point now where people maybe have reduced their, their options to the point now where they say, you know what, if if it has to be like this, and, and we're not saying that this is a large percentage, but we do know that it's out there. We do know that uh, many couples are engaging in this. So, I mean, to ignore it is wrong. We have to we have to address that. But I guess the question is, I guess the question is, again, um, if people are looking at the situation saying, okay, if I'm going into it and I know that most marriages are not working, what do I do? Let's see if we have another caller. Caller, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Go ahead and state your comment, please. Well, um, I have a question about how would I confront my husband? I've tried in many, many ways to let him know uh, how important it is for us to be intimate with one another. I've tried many times discussing it with him. He... um, he says that he's going to try harder, he's going to do better, and we're still in a very sexless marriage. We're both Christians, we both love the Lord. I've talked to him on many occasions, and now we're to the point where it just doesn't phase him at all if we if he doesn't touch me. What can I do? Okay, we appreciate the call. Thank you for the time. I, I think now we've moved into... Uh Talk show, talk show zone. But Pastor Young, I'm gonna let you answer that question. What What do you do? Is Is it? How, how do you handle situations like that? And let's be honest, that call right there is 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 not a unique situation. There are many couples who come to church and they smiling on the outside, but yet they're struggling on the inside. And a lack of connection, uh, a lack of intimacy in many ways, not just physically. How do we How do we help couples? Uh, who are doing the right thing by coming to church and help them to, again, affirm these things that Pastor Waldron has said in helping them to live. You, you know, um, one of the things that I've noticed in, in, in Christian marriages is that somewhere along the way, um, we can lose touch if we're not careful with what it means to have a well-rounded relationship. In other words, it's great to be saved and love the Lord. But, you know, and, and I'm not saying that this is the caller's case per se, but these are cases that I've dealt with. You don't want to bring the helmet of salvation to the bedroom. You know, you, you bring Victoria's Secret. You know, he's a man of God, but he's a man as well. I'm sorry. I just got to be real. You know, the truth is, is that, you know, the word doesn't uh, doesn't uh, stimulate our bodies and our emotions. It stimulates our spirit. And one of the things that that we can tend to forget is that, you know, um, as you're more than a woman of God. You're also a woman and you can be in touch with your sensuality and and, and in the context of of what what um, um, making love is. When you think about it for a minute, if you've got God uh, uh, showing you how to please your spouse, um, then th- there's no other relationship or there's no other form of intimacy that is deeper than that, than that, that is more intense than that. So I guess the point is, is that sometimes in church it's tab- Boo to be sexy, but you know I just got to say it. My wife is sexy. Hey, Mooney, and she should be. Yeah, to you. Yeah, and <laughs> not to me, but to, <laughs> but certainly to you. And, and you're right. That conversation is not always discussed, always in church, it, and, and that's true. But I think in a, a situation with this caller here, you know, it's a situation where maybe she's looking, 
She knows, maybe, maybe not. I don't know her entire situation, but you have lots of people in every church who are married who come in and they look good on the outside. They smile, and they, and, but you know, you understand. When they go home, it's a completely different story. And so uh, in her case, and we're talking about her case only, you know, is open marriage, it, if she suspects that something is going on, does she say then, okay, well, maybe I should be open to open marriage? You know, that's that's the realities that we're dealing with. We do have another caller on the air. Caller, are you there? Yes, I am. How you doing today? I'm doing fine. How are you? Good. Real good. Thank you for asking. Listen, I'm just responding on the fact of the open marriage concept, you know, and I thought that when you get married, it's for to death do your part. And if you do have an affair while you're in a relationship, that's called adultery, isn't it? And God frowns on that kind of thing. So if, if it's wrong, it's actually wrong. So no matter how many excuses people give for their personal situation, likes and dislikes, it still doesn't make it right, you know, according to the Word of God. All right. Thank you for your time. I appreciate the call. Mm-hmm. Pastor, he's saying no matter what happens, what you agree to, if it's wrong, it's wrong, and, and that's how it is. But isn't that some of the things that you've already said already, that we're, we're harping too much on what is wrong and not helping people to understand how to live? Yeah, I, I, man, there's so many things I want to say, um, and not to. Well, first, let me let me talk about the the, the sister who called in with her struggle. Um, you know, there's no quick answer and quick fix to your situation. I think, as you said, both of you are are, are Christian in the church, and one of the things that I find as a pastor that is is one of the realities of it is that men are not as comfortable coming to their pastor to discuss issues. Now, the reason why I raise that is because what it sounds like is that there's some need of counseling in that relationship. In other words, when a person lacks a desire to be intimate, it has an origin somewhere. The lack of intimacy or the lack of desire to be intimate has an origin somewhere and, and good counseling and I will say pastoral counseling, since I'm a pastor, will seek to tap into the origin because if there's a lack of physical intimacy, the manifestation of that lack is going to be in other areas as well, not just in the physical. So there may be emotional instability. There may be a lot of spiritual imbalance because one is not disconnected from the others. And so what you may notice is a pattern of disconnection in many other areas of, of your husband's life. Now, I don't say that to just say, okay, now, well, let's, let's, let's deal with him. The issue is working on it together. How do you two as a couple work to work on it together so that you come to a place where intimacy becomes part of the fullness of the relationship? But somewhere along the line, there's a fracture that took place. There's a wounding. There's a hurt. There's a brokenness that is there that has to be mended and dealt with, I would say, from his part. And I think being part of that healing process as a wife will now make you now really become not just a a wife, but now a form of emotional support, spiritual support, physical support as well. So I think the hardest thing to do is to try to, you know, convince your spouse to to seek counseling. You're not going to do it. So no matter how many times you talk to him, no matter how many times you broach the subject, it's not going to get through because from his perspective, you're purely subjective because you have certain needs and certain things that you want. And so and so he may not receive your trying to broach that topic. So I would press, I would pray about how do we together get to a place where we can have third party objective um, mediation to help us because you know intimacy sex is a gift from God and I think in the fullness of a marriage if that is missing a portion of who we are called to be is lacking as well um, that's one that's one piece I don't know if I 
Yeah. The other the other thing is, I, I just said to, 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 to Brother Johnson, I said, now we could be real controversial with regard to the brother who called in about adultery. Because now I'm gonna be real controversial in a second. I guess we're on radio, so that's part of the hype, right? So, so I, I think that as a church, again, my my biggest struggle is that the church is confused. The church is like the prodigal son. We we are an identity crisis. We have not come to ourselves yet, and so we have not fully understood who we are, understood who we're called to be. We love to use Bible. We love to use scripture. We love to use God to affirm what we deeply desire to see or want to see. And so brother just called in and said about, you know, well, if you're married, then you're not supposed to commit uh, infidelity. True. That is true. And the reasons for that can be, you know, manifold, but you don't necessarily have to evoke the scriptures to justify or even God. It's about the fidelity of a relationship that is based on mature love. Now, when you bring the scriptures in and you say, well, God frowns on adultery. Well, we get that usually from where Old Testament the commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery. And it is a problem then when we use scriptures that way, because the Ten Commandments, as we know them, and we know as preachers, there are a whole lot more than just the Ten Commandments. There's several commandments that God gives and there's several codes of conduct that God gives. It would seem that on some levels, God is kind of redundant in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery, and then thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. It seems redundant. Now, remember that the notion of thou shalt not commit adultery and thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife is done in a context when polygamy is the cultural norm. So then what does adultery mean? And then what does coveting the neighbor's wife mean in a culture where polygamy is the norm? And apparently, apparently the polygamy, not that it is condoned by God, but it is not necessarily addressed by God. Because what does adultery mean for God in this context? And what does coveting the neighbor's wife mean in the context? And I think as as pastors, as theologians, as religious leaders, we have to lead people in healthy conversations about these subjects. It does not condone open marriages. It does not say that any of that is okay. But when we start using certain language and use certain God talk, I think we have to be clear and careful what we say and what we mean and stop using the God language and God talk and scripture as almost a bat affirming our beliefs to beat people over the head with. That's absolutely right. And that's what happens when people come to the church. You know, you hear this kind of talk and a lot of people are wrestling with different issues. And that's one of the reasons why maybe some don't come is because, you know, you might be in a situation and you hear these things and it presents further grief and further struggle. And so we're almost out of time. We want to get as many calls as we can in the last few minutes. We do have another caller. Caller, are you there? Hello, caller, are you there? Okay. So once again... Um, the whole notion here We know relationships We know people are getting married for all kinds of reasons That are not godly We also know that people are not being affirmed In these relationships We know all these kinds of things um, We've heard the story What what do we say now? You know what, what do we say to this whole open marriage concept? And we have just a few more minutes um, how do we close this topic up? You know, from uh, uh, being a pastor being a, being a child of God All those things how do we refute this issue? You know, one of the things that I think is real important for our audience to understand, and it's, it's much like uh, uh, the pastor said, is that, you know, quite frequently, you know, and I, I can remember scenarios where counseling pastors, I literally had to say, if you have to use the Bible to get your wife to sleep with you, 
your issue is deeper than the fact that she won't sleep with you. The, the, the point that I'm making is, is that the, the Bible is, is, is the, the heart of God. Um, and so he is describing his heart on paper. But sometimes we can get so caught up in the letter of the law that we lose the spirit of the law. The letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. So it's one thing, like, like, like the pastor was saying, to, to quote uh, black and white, right and wrong. But that's not maturity. Anybody that can read can take you to a scripture and show you what's right and wrong. But it takes someone that is in touch with God to be able to guide you from right uh, from wrong to right and to be able to show you and walk you through and disciple you into a place where your flesh begins to die and your spirit begins to come alive again. And then you begin to desire the things of God, because the truth is, is that, you know, spiritual things are foolishness to the carnal mind because they're spiritually discerned. And so if somebody comes in your office and they're talking about an open marriage, they are not in the spirit. They're in the flesh. So if you start coming at them with spiritual things, they are just as confused when they leave as they were when they came. So you've got to connect with people where they are so that you can take them where they need to be pastor yeah i i i always come at things from a different angle but just in, in closing with the open marriage issue i think as a church we will always find ourselves in a minority in these conversations because we represent not mainstream but we represent a countercultural movement and i think in order to maintain the sanctity of our movement sometimes we have to take stands that are not popular. Now, one of the things that make our dealing with the open marriage difficult is that open marriages now are taking place within a cultural context where the affirmation and pursuit of desire is the number one thing. It is not about maintaining healthy relationships. It's not about honoring love. It's not about stability. It is about the pursuit of desire, whether it be physical, emotional, or otherwise. And so in our culture that is oversexed and 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 we see images of sexuality everywhere and open marriage fits in with the progression of this culture it makes sense you can have what you want as much as you want it as long as you got the money to pay for it and at the end of the day i think we then as part of the church the the the, the believers of god we have to begin to affirm another way of living you cannot address the issue of open marriage as though it is an isolated event a situation in this con- cultural context. It is part of the cultural milieu that exists right now. So as a church, we have to begin to say, okay, there's another way of living and another way of being. I have to participate in a critical cultural shift and transformation in order to make open marriage not make sense. So that my conversation has to be broad enough to capture the open marriage issue, but also specific enough for an individual to find themselves in the particular in this particular movement. We have to affirm who we are in certain ways of affirming who we are. Certain conversations won't really come to the table in certain ways because we'll already inherently know how to deal with it because we're clear about who we are and who we claim to represent. So. This has been a great discussion, and uh, we, we just can't seem to get past off this list. Uh, and, and it seems as though every time we want to finish the list, we just hit one point. We do have three others, so I guess we'll pick up on the next one on next week. Uh, I want to again thank my good friend, Pastor Michael Waldron, who was in town, agreed to stop by and offer some wonderful insight today on our show. He again is the senior pastor of First Corinthian Baptist Church in Harlem, New York. Please look him up, YouTube. Uh, Michael Waldron, W A L R O N D. And what's your, yeah, give your information, man, website and all that, where we can get in contact with. Yeah, you can check us out on the, uh, on the web. The address is uh, fcbcsermons.com. F, 
cbcsermons.com. That's First Corinthian Baptist Church in Harlem, New York. It's been a pleasure being here with you today, Doc. Glad to have you, man. Anytime you're back in the area, please stop back by, man. We'd love to have you again on the show. Uh, we're out of time. Uh, next week, uh, we'll continue with this discussion, a uh, very frank and honest discussion on what's happening in our community. That's how we want the show to be. If you miss portions of the show today, you can go on to the website later on today, kevinswan.org, K-E-V-I-N-S-W-A-N-N.org, and you can listen to the show in its entirety. On behalf of Pastor John Young, Pastor Michael Waldron, and uh, all others who had a part in the show today, we thank you. Uh, Tune in again next week to another edition of the show. Until next week, be blessed and be a blessing to someone else. Take care.